Let me have a few minutes of your time just to rejoice in what the Bible says, and we'll sing several more songs. We've had some recent deaths. Arthur Wokak, Thomas Hagler Jr. There'll be more coming. It'll reach into our congregation and take us one at a time. But we want to rejoice in hope in spite of that. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. You read it last evening. Some of you know every verse in it and have memorized these verses. They're wonderful verses to memorize. Brother Orville, I know it's your favorite chapter. has been for a long time. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 54. So when this corruptible, that's your body, shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal, that's your body, shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This life only for Christians is a hopeless existence of self-denial and trouble. So we are supposed to comfort ourselves and edify one another with words and thoughts of death and eternal life. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Do you grasp that you began existence with death stamped on your future? And neither was by your permission. God did not ask you to give you existence. And God did not ask you if you wanted to die. The sovereign God that we worship in this church made a choice to give existence to your soul in a body that will die. And you cannot stop it. In an existence that you cannot stop. It is one of the grandest, most sublime, most intimidating aspects of the sovereignty of God that there is. God gave you existence and didn't ask if you wanted existence or not. He doesn't have to ask us for anything. He is God and we are His creatures. The knowledge and death, the knowledge of death and its defeat by the Lord Jesus Christ is one of the greatest aspects of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. It's your duty, it's your privilege, today, every day, to be grounded in the victory that Jesus Christ has won long before we face the curtain of death. We should be preparing and we should be living every day as if it were our last day. The most important thing you can do in life is to prepare for the day of your death. So let us make sure we're all starting today if we haven't started before. Only Bible believers know the origin, the nature, the purpose, and the cure, and the end of death. Give thanks for so much truth that we have in the Bible. Modern fools propose a theory of evolution. But why it hasn't yet evolved away death, they can't explain. We know we are two-part beings at least, with a spirit and a body. 
The Spirit is able to live without the body, but the body can't live without the Spirit. The Lord's going to separate them at the moment of death, and so our spirit will be with the Lord, and our body will sleep in the dust of the earth. The Lord will raise our bodies and put them back together again at the resurrection. Our spirit will inhabit its tabernacle, called a tabernacle in the Bible. It, it'll re, it'll reclothe itself in a glorified body and live forever with the Lord. Amen. The origin of death is the blessed God who punished our first parents for their sins in Eden. The nature of death is the spirit returning to its creator, leaving the body lifeless and corrupting. The purpose of death is to punish sin. The cure of death is Jesus Christ, death on the cross. And the end of death is the resurrection of all bodies from the grave. And that is only the formal end of death. When you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, and then you read 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 10 that says Jesus Christ abolished death, which is true. I need a three... Thank you, brother. Yes! They're both true. Jesus Christ has abolished the penal aspects of death. It is no longer a punishment because it's been lifted from off of us. It has been legally destroyed. It has been officially destroyed, but it will be formally shown and demonstrated to the universe when He raises everybody. And then you can reconcile those passages together. As far as its penal effect, as far as its claim on us, Jesus Christ has abolished it as any lasting claim. And he will show that when he raises everyone from the dead. The universal fear of death causes people to come up with all sorts of ridiculous heresies. And the Bible tells us so. Hebrews chapter 2.15 says that through the fear of death, they were in bondage to other men. False religions prey on the fact that people are afraid of dying. And so they work that fear to their advantage. Annihilation is a heresy that denies any existence after you die. So why practice any self-denial? You only go around life in once. You're going to be annihilated at the end. Live it with all the gusto you can. Reincarnation is a ridiculous heresy of the East. In particular, Buddhism and Hinduism in India. It's a heresy that proposes recycling as something else so you get to die repeatedly. Isn't that a comforting religion? You get to die over and over. Universalism is a heresy that claims all men go to heaven and God doesn't even have a literal hell. These heresies are rampant today, but they're really no different than the Sadducees of a previous generation where our Lord lived, who denied that there was a spirit. Roman Catholics are so ignorant about death that they pray that Mary will pray for them in the hour of their death. That's the Hail Mary prayer. Hail Mary, Mother of God. And I don't even know the whole thing, but it's pray for us sinners at the hour of our death. Credible. How, how little they know. Mary died herself. And we have the Lord Jesus Christ and He is no longer dead. He is living. He told John in Revelation chapter 1, I was dead, but I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of hell and of death. When I open, no man shuts. And when I shut, no man opens. And that's what we believe. I want you to look in Job chapter 18. Job chapter 18 for a unique expression that I used in the preaching this morning that I want to refer to again right now. I'll not be that long. You preserve your energy because I want to hear you sing like that in three more songs in just a few minutes. We want to encourage ourselves to be prepared for the day of our death. It is what the churches exist for, to comfort one another with these words. I've requoted that several times now. It's 1 Thessalonians 4.18. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9-11 through 11 say the same thing. Job 
chapter 18. Bildad the Shuhite gives quite a description of the Lord ripping away the prosperity and vitality of the wicked. Verse 12. Let's get verse 11. Oh, Bildad is waxing eloquent here. Verse 11. Terrors shall make him afraid on every side and shall drive him to his feet. He'll not be able to sit and rest. His strength shall be hunger-bitten, and destruction shall be ready at his side. It shall devour the strength of his skin. Even the firstborn of death shall devour his strength. His confidence shall be rooted out of his tabernacle, and it shall bring him to the king of terrors. And that is death. The Bible describes death as the king of terrors. The world may laugh and joke about the certainty of death in some of their little signs and mantras, mottos and so forth, but check them out at a funeral of someone that uh, they were close to. Death is a happy, lively, gorgeous girl as a cold, ashen gray and shriveled old woman. Death is horrible. Death is ugly. Death is painful. But Jesus Christ has destroyed it. We want death of these bodies to get rid of them in order to get the better body. For those of you that learn 1 Corinthians 15, the plant can't come up except something die. And we can't get our new bodies unless the old body dies. We want a planet. I believe I've just told, reminded you recently, I talked to a number of people during a week, so I can't tell who I've told what sometimes, but I think I reminded you recently that we put one kernel of corn into the soil and plant it there where it corrupts and destroys, and up comes a 12-foot corn stalk. I'm talking about real corn. They don't grow it in South Carolina. They grow it in Iowa and other places. They don't grow it in Michigan. They grow it in farming communities where they grow real corn for real animals. And it'll grow 12 or 14 feet tall. A small child can climb partway up the stalk. It's got a magnificent 24, 36-inch tassel at the top. You've heard all that. There's 16 rows of 50 kernels. On each cob, it may have two of them. That comes from one little seed put in the ground. And when we put this thing in the ground, it may have been sown in dishonor, but it's coming forth in glory. It may have been sown in weakness, but it's coming forth in power. But we can't have it unless we're willing to put this one down and let go of it. And as soon as we let go of it, the Spirit is with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Death is a strong, virile, and handsome young man curled up with only yellow skin and bones left. And it's a horrible sight. Death's working right now to choke out your life and leave you a rotting, stinking corpse. And I've gone through the list of things before. It's going to take every single bit of vitality, every feature of you, every limb of you, every organ of you. It is going to squeeze and choke and suffocate the life out of every part of you. Your heart won't be able to pump. Your lungs won't be able to breathe. Your eyes won't be able to see. Your feet won't be able to walk. Your fingers won't be able to clutch. Death. But I'll tell you, when Stephen came to the time of his death, he looked up into heaven And he saw a man's legs that were still able to stand him up from off his throne at the right hand of Almighty God. And it was the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's we're looking forward to that body. 
And it is our duty as Christians, and it is our privilege as Christians to encourage each other and talk about this on a more regular basis than we have done in the past. We need to get our eyes off this horizontal plane, and we need to get them vertical toward heaven, and we need to forget this life, and we need to be thinking about godliness. Bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. We want to be exercising ourselves that way more than any other way. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Look at Matthew chapter 22. I won't be long. I know that those words mean very little to you, but I want you to be singing for me in a few minutes. I want you to encourage me to be ready to lay down this body. I want to encourage you. I'll sing as loud as you. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 31. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, and this saying is found in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 6, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. To whom did God say those words? In Exodus chapter 3. Who was in Exodus chapter 3? Moses. God said these words to Moses. God said these words to Moses around 400 years after he said them to Abraham. I am the God of, after Abraham died, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. That's the Lord Jesus Christ's explanation. Why is he using the present tense verb, I am the God of Abraham, when he's telling Moses 400 years later, because Abraham was still existing in a place called heaven, which because it was so important to Abraham, and because Abraham is such an important person there, in the New Testament it's called Abraham's bosom. Because that little Jew beggar that was at the gate of the rich man was in Abraham's bosom. The rich father of his nation embraced him and he was gathered to his people. We want to be a beggar with faith rather than a rich man without any. Our God's the God of the living. Death did not end Abraham. Death just put Abraham where he'd always wanted to be, in a heavenly country, with a city that hath foundations, whose builder and maker was God. Look at Numbers chapter 23. Numbers chapter 23. This is not a very deep sermon, and it's things you've heard before, but you know what? We need to hear things we've heard before, and we need to hear them again, and we need to hear them again, so that we don't forget them and we think about them. And they keep us from getting distracted with all the things that the world's going to bombard us with as soon as we walk out of this building. Numbers chapter 23, I'm thankful that God can take a man who was hired to curse Israel and turn those curses into a blessing. Numbers chapter 23, and here goes, here goes Balaam. Verse 10, who can count the dust of Jacob? They're going to be so multitudinous and there's going to be so many of them. Balaam's just blessing away the nation he's supposed to be cursing. Who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like his. Well, it wasn't. You can read in the Word of God and find him described over in 2 Peter chapter 2 and the book of Jude. Balaam didn't die like the righteous, but oh, when he's prophesying, speaking on behalf of God, he said, let my last end, let my death be like the death of the righteous. You mean the death of the righteous is a good thing? Is it better than the death of the wicked? Absolutely. 
We looked at that today, but especially by several of those Proverbs, because Proverbs are typically two clauses contrasting or comparing. And wasn't, weren't they powerful? As they contrasted and compared the uh, death of the righteous and the death of the wicked. Numbers 23.10 Let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like his. And was there, was there a little bit of emphasis from the Spirit of God through the mouth of this false prophet? There's an exclamation point in your King James Bible because Balaam was getting uncorked with the Lord speaking through him. Look at Revelation 14.13 on this same point. Death is a blessed event. Let my death be the death of the righteous and my last end like his. Revelation 14.13, similar to chapter 13 and 10 that I read to you earlier today, puts it this way. Chapter 14, verse 13, I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, and we have it written down, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. This book is full of persecutions. It's full of prophecies of pagan and papal Rome and what they're going to do to the people of God. But in the midst of this, just stop everything for a moment. The Lord, I'm sorry. The Lord speaking to us through His Word. Right. Chapter 13 is filled with a war. Verse 7 of chapter 13, It was given unto Him to make war with the saints. Do you know your Bibles? And to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. This is the dark ages of the history of Europe and the world. Pagan and papal Rome. It was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Well, when you start reading down through all this stuff, you need what it says in verse 13 of chapter 14. Write, John, write this down. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. God won't forget a single thing about the martyrs. Though they, the martyrs had everything, everything they knew tore from them. Their family relationships, their businesses, their homes, their clothes, their books, their churches, everything torn from them. And they laid down their lives naked in flames of fire at the hands of pagan and papal Rome. But their works followed them, and God will not lose a single one of those works because He is not unrighteous to forget your labor of love. Amen. In Matthew twenty-five thirty-one through 46, when they're standing, the sheep at His right hand and the goats at His left hand, the sheep are saying, what, what have we ever done? He'll remember every single one for them. Even a cup of cold water in a disciple's name is going to be brought up before the Lord of glory. Their works do follow them. You're going to die of natural causes the Lord willing, in in years or months or days or hours or whatever the Lord has chosen for you. But these people were going to face death in the prime of life. They were going to have their families ripped away, their wives ravaged in front of them, their children taken away, children disemboweled in front of them to try to get them to swear allegiance to the Pope or the Caesars of Rome. But they had a little little insert here about a blessing that blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. This was a prophecy of things to come. And so this henceforth of what's going to happen to the people of God, the Lord Jesus Christ was standing in for them, and the Spirit added, Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. They've had to work so hard, they were 
They were tossed out of their cities. They were driven out of their homes. They were driven into the wilderness in the wintertime. You can read about it in Fox's Book of Martyrs. You can read about it in Martyr's Mirror. You can read about it wherever you want to read about it. But they were driven out to die in the wilderness. But they get to rest because heaven's a place of rest. Death is a blessed event. Death is a precious event. Look at Psalm 116. Psalm 116. I thank the Lord for this verse in recent weeks. He's played with his most unworthy servant with this little verse. I've heard it so many times. I've just heard it quoted like it's just a string of words. Precious. Precious. Is there a difference in metals between precious and base? Are there metals that when we say they're precious, something is precious? When we we use the word precious, something is very dear, something is very rare, something is very valuable, something is very important, something is very touching, something is very much the object of our love. Precious. Precious. In Psalm 116 and verse 15. Precious. In the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. One of those saints was the beggar. No one would have thought a thing about it. There was no obituary. There was no embalming. He was taken to the dump heap and burned, or buried in a mass grave. Beggar. Nobody cared. The rich man, of course, there was a great pomp and show made about his death. But precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Right. When it was time for the beggar to die, there was a God in heaven that was touched and moved and cared. The name of that beggar was inscribed in the palm of his hand. The name of that beggar was inscribed in the book of life. That beggar had angels protecting him, and those angels carried him into heaven. The Bible says so. We totally believe. Swing low, sweet chariot. Because that chariot swung low for Elijah, and that chariot swung low for the beggar at the gate. And I'll tell you, I don't care how fancy and fast the ride was of the rich man, it wasn't anything like the ride the beggar had into heaven. And we want to remember that. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. The world won't note it. The world won't publish it. The world doesn't care, but God cares. And God doesn't just care. It's not a bear caring. It's not just, it's a duty. It's not just something He has to fulfill. It is precious. Why? Because they're going to be with him. See, he couldn't wait for Enoch to die, so he just took him. Is that, is that what the Bible says? Is that how it worded? He took him? He took him? He was not. Because he was translated right into the presence of God. So was Elijah. Death is a precious event. Precious. In the sight of the Lord. No one else looks at it that way, like the Lord does. That is the Lord Jehovah, I am that I am. He is eternal in both directions. He is independent of all creatures. But precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. It is a meaningful, valuable, tender, affectionate moment that brings forth the compassion of His soul for His people that He has promised eternal life to from before the world began. We look at the corpse. You know, our our sight is so limited to what takes place. We look in the hospital room. We look in the hospice bed at home. We look in the casket and we see the body. and We touch it and it's cold and clammy and clay. 
But we don't see the chariot that was there. And we don't see the angels that were there. And we don't see the spirit there. And we don't see the angels rejoicing in heaven. And we don't see the Lord Jesus Christ standing there to greet a sinner coming into his presence. Precious. If it's precious to God, then death is a good thing. Amen. Let me die the death of the righteous. And let my last end be like his. Look at Isaiah 57. The Lord is merciful sometimes in death. Sometimes He takes men away from trouble to come. See, we can't see everything. All we see is a birth certificate. And so somebody is only 54 years old when they die. Why did I pick 54? I made it past Hezekiah. Hezekiah got 15 years added to his life, but do you know when they were added? When he was 39 years old. Hezekiah, the great king of Judah, only lived to be 54. When we look at the birth certificate and we think about what a great king he was, and he was one of the four great kings of Israel. And by the way, when he did not repay God for his 15 years, the Bible does tell us he humbled himself. He was a great king. Why did he only live to 54? The Bible tells us. Isaiah 57, 1 and 2 tells us the general principle. The righteous perisheth, and no man layeth it to heart. See, people can't figure it out or understand what's going on. The righteous perishes, and he's only 54 years old. And merciful men are taken away, none considering that the righteous is taken away from the evil to come. Not only is it precious to be in heaven, the Lord's taking him away from trouble on earth. He's going to go to heaven. He's going to enter into peace. They shall rest in their beds, each one walking in his uprightness. All sin will be purged away. His righteousness will be purified and sanctified by the Lord's righteousness. And he gets to rest. He gets, this is metaphorical language. He gets to be in his bed resting, walking in uprightness, entering into peace. Who in the world would want to be left down here? And this is not thinking about being with the Lord. This is thinking about being ripped out of the evil and trouble to come. Death. It's a deliverance from trouble to come in some cases. Death is described in the Bible as sleeping in Jesus. Your spirit doesn't sleep. We don't believe in soul sleep. Only our bodies sleep. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We're not sleeping. It's just that moment of death. The spirit goes to be with the Lord. The body is dead now because it's lifeless. Because there's no spirit in it. It starts corrupting immediately. And we lay that in the ground and we lay it horizontally. We lay it on its back because it is sleeping. And it's going to come out of that grave. It begins, it's going to be called out Amen. with the same power that he called out the voice, of the, the, the body of Lazarus. Amen. Lazarus, come forth. Do you think Lazarus had to think about whether he wanted to do that? Do you know what kind of life-giving power and force there was in those words? You say to yourself, well, if it's 50 billion people that he's got to call to the grave, it'll be a whole lot harder for him. There isn't one bit of difference in raising one or raising 50 billion. Right. Because he is victory, victorious over death. Death is swallowed up in victory. Amen. You know, when, when there were sports teams and sports heroes and so forth, the common expressions are, he could eat him for breakfast. There's little things that we would say. You know, when one, when one athlete is much greater than another, we would say, he could eat him for breakfast. Well, what does the Bible have to say about death versus Jesus Christ? Okay. I'm glad you like that the Bible's very graphic in its language. Death is swallowed up in victory. He's just going to swallow it. 
And he swallowed it. And it swallowed up in victory. Death is just sleeping in Jesus. Look at Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. I like this one, and you have heard it from me before, but remember, I don't want you to ever forget it. I want you to be able to share it with others. When someone sees that you're very hopeful about the matter of death, and they ask you a reason for the hope that is within you, I want you to remember, did you know that the Bible describes death this way? Genesis chapter 25 and verse 15. This is, oh, that's not the reference I want. 25 and verse 8, excuse me. I was just talking to myself for one sentence. Genesis chapter 25 and verse 8. Then Abraham gave up the ghost, that's his spirit. His spirit left his body and died in a good old age. An old man and full of years. So his body's dead. His ghost or spirit left that body to go be with the Lord. And here's how it's described. And was gathered to his people. Now, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1 says that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back to gather us all to be together with Him, those who are left on the earth, and He's going to gather our bodies up and rejoin our bodies and our spirits, and we shall be together with the Lord forever. But the death is described in the Bible, and the patriarchs have it described about all of them as being gathered to His people. See, there was Noah. Noah was His people. Seth was His people. Enoch was His people. He was gathered to his people. Death is a family reunion of the righteous. Look at chapter 35. Genesis chapter 35. And let's see if it's true of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham was buried in the land of Canaan. He wasn't gathered to his, his body wasn't gathered to his people. The bodies of his ancestors were way over there in Ur of the Chaldeans, 500, 600, 700 miles away. We're talking about his spirit was gathered to his people. Chariot came down, swing low, sweet chariot, and grabbed Abraham and carried him off in his spirit into heaven. Genesis chapter 35 and verse 29. And Isaac gave up the ghost. See, the spirit leaves the body. That's what death is. Isaac gave up the ghost and died and was gathered unto his people, being old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Now, Buried what? Buried his body. Where was Isaac? In heaven with daddy. Was gathered to his people. Unto his people. Look at chapter 49. Now old Jacob, he's a prophet. And so he was talking about his death before he died it. And here's what he had to say about what was going to happen. (laughs) The Bible is a very wonderful book to read. Let's get verse 28. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel, and this is it, that their father spake unto them and blessed them. Everyone according to his blessing, he blessed them. That wasn't the prettiest situation when he went through his twelve sons, but the Bible calls it a blessing. Verse 29. And he charged them and said unto them, I am to be gathered unto my people. He doesn't say I'm about to die. I've only got three days left. He says... I am to be gathered unto my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. That's his body. Now he's got Abraham and Isaac in that that family burial plot. We come to verse 33. And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people. 
the Lord Jesus Christ used the same terminology, and I've given you the reference, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1, about all of us. See, Hebrews 12, 22 through 24 tells us that there's a heavenly Jerusalem, the city which Abraham was looking for, and in it are all the spirits of just men made perfect. Right. It's the spirits of just men made perfect because the bodies of those just men are still upon the earth. The spirits of just men made perfect. All the sin is gone. They're sinless, and they're sinlessly perfect, and they're in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. David said of the first child that Bathsheba bore to him that the Lord took. He said, I cannot bring him back to me, but I will go to him. He was gathered to his people, including a little boy. The Apostle Paul described death as the time of my departure. It's like buying a ticket and going someplace, but I'll tell you who paid for the ticket. The Lord Jesus Christ with his own precious blood. Death is putting off your tabernacle. Your body's just a house. I can remember as a very, very young boy, the words of my mother pounded into me, that is just his house. That is just his house. That is just her house. As I would peer over a casket, that is just her house. She's in heaven. He's in heaven. That is just the house. It's called the tabernacle. What's a tabernacle mean? It means a temporary dwelling place. And so we have this tabernacle that we're in for a few years, and we're going to get rid of it, and we'll be clothed with an eternal body glorified in the presence of God. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 1 says this. Do you believe it? The day of your death is better than the day of your birth. You know, we have birthday parties. I know it sounds morbid, but I don't care what it sounds like. Should we have a departure party? Should we have a, a death party? You know, it was just three years ago, a, th- a couple weeks ago, that Bruce Taylor died and departed. It was just two years ago that Marie Crosby departed. If we believe what we say about heaven, if we believe the Bible, if we believe Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 1, Who's better off, us down here having birthday parties or having a little death party for them and, and others that we could add? If Don't anybody, please, please don't be offended for me just mentioning two. That, that deserves some meditation. The day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. You know, death should be viewed as following the leader because the Lord Jesus Christ went and did it before us. And he did it willingly. He chose it. His life wasn't taken from him. He laid it down for us. Death is certain victory, as we've already noticed from the words that we've used. Death is being with Christ. For me to depart and to be with Christ is far better, the apostle said. Paul said he was confident and ready to die and go to be with the Lord. Death is like the planting of a seed. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death is described as crossing Jordan to take the land of Canaan. Are you willing to step your first foot into that water? Those priests had to come to the edge of that water, holding that Ark of the Covenant, take the first step into that water. And when they touched that water, that water divided, and they went into dry ground, and they stood out there in the middle of the Jordan River. And that Jordan River just kept stacking up, stacking up, going back way up river. And that whole nation walked across in the land of Canaan, a land that God had prepared for them. And God's prepared a land for us, but it's a heavenly country. 
And it's the one that Abraham really was looking at, according to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 16. There Abraham is. It's called Abraham's bosom. And it's a comfortable place to be because that's where the beggar was comforted. And he got there by the sweet chariot of God and the angels of God. Death should be viewed as something destroyed by the second Adam. And the second Adam did destroy death. What a contest. The first Adam brought death. The second Adam destroyed it. Death is gain. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We need to encourage each other and believe that. No separation or parting there as we've already sung. You know, whenever we marry someone here, no matter how much you love the spouse that you marry, no matter how you are committed to them, we say the words till death do you part because at death you will part. But we will never be parted from the God that loved us and the Lord Jesus Christ because he's given us everlasting life so that it says in Romans chapter 8 and the last two verses, neither death shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Death is crying out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit and stepping into the waters of Jordan or stepping through the black curtain. But it's really just got so much light on the other side, it just looks gray because it's got so much light in the presence of God. Stepping through, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And though he was just a deacon, the Lord Jesus Christ stood up. Wow! Amen. We can't be separated from him. Oh, there's other things that could be said and a whole lot more of them. But are you, are you thankful for your baptism? Let's make sure we walk out of this place today knowing what 1 Corinthians 15, 29 means. Right. Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? If the dead rise, not at all. Why are they then baptized for the dead? We believe in the resurrection of the dead and we are Baptists and we prove it. Everybody becomes a Baptist when they go to the cemetery because they put everybody under. And we put everybody... Oh, I love going to Presbyterian funerals and knowing that they just became a Baptist for us and for the Word of God because nobody gets buried by laying you on a, a piece of pavement and sprinkling a little dirt on your forehead. you got to go under. Right. Amen. Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? If the dead rise, then at all, why are they then baptized, why are they then baptized for the dead? If you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, you shouldn't have Baptist baptism. But we have Baptist baptism because we believe in the resurrection of the dead. It's that middle clause of 1 Corinthians 15, 29 that explains the two outer clauses. What are they, what are they doing being baptized just for death without the hope of the resurrection? What are they doing that for? Because we believe. Amen. We believe. The Lord Jesus Christ, I close with these words. Once dealt with a close family death in John chapter 11, Lazarus died. His sisters were grieving over him, and the Lord Jesus himself wept. But he confronted Martha and said to her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, Yet shall he live, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And hear the words that we need to hear and answer. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, 
the Son of God, which should come into the world. Amen. Amen.